all four Gospels have an account of Jesus being baptized, and for 2,000 years, the church has been trying to figure out why Jesus was baptized. But every Sunday, every year, we dedicate a Sunday to remember that act of Jesus being baptized. And so today in Matthew's account, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented it, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then Jesus consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Marianne Moore was already a famous American poet when in 1955 the Ford Motor Company contracted with her to help come up with a name for their brand new car model. And so in her report she had several names, Mongoose Savik, Varsity Stroke, The Anticipator, Thundercruster, The Pastelogram, the intelligent whale, Andante Kanmoto, and ultimately her main recommendation, Utopian Turtle Top. <laughs> the Ford Motor Company did not go with any of those, surprisingly, and instead named the model after Henry Ford's son, the Edsel. As most of you know, that car did not sell well. It turned out to be one of the greatest automotive and marketing disasters in American history. Though I'm not sure Utopian Turtle Top would have moved many more cars. Names are important. Names give a sense of identity. Jesus knew that. At his baptism, when he came back out of the water, fresh from John's baptismal act, the heavens opened to Jesus, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and a voice from heaven named him, this is my son, the beloved. A baptism can be a destination. It can be a culmination. It can also be a beginning. Many, but not all, of the baptisms we have in this church are babies. Today we're, we're going to have four young people being baptized. But baptism is almost always some kind of destination for those involved and their families. Because you have to gather the family and you have to make sure that the hundred-year-old baptismal gown, if it's a baby, isn't too large or too small for the day of the baptism. Arrangements are made, people are gathered, parties are planned. This baptism as destination, though, can be at any age Kyle was nowhere to be found, and I missed him, a colleague of mine wrote recently. In the weeks following his baptism and confirmation, he was noticeably missing. Other members of the confirmation class missed him too. Kyle and his family had come to the congregation when he was in fifth grade. They attended sporadically, so I was a little surprised. When I asked him about confirmation, they all responded very positively. Kyle and his parents came to the orientation meeting, agreed to the covenant to participate in the retreat and the mission projects and the weekly classes. Kyle was serious about it. He rarely missed. He quickly 
became a significant part of the group and developed some wonderful friendships with others in the class who'd barely known him before. Since Kyle had not yet been baptized, my colleague continues, he was not only confirmed, but also baptized on Pentecost Sunday. It was a marvelous celebration with all the confirmands, but that's pretty much where it ended. That's when I know we had done something wrong, the pastor continues. When I checked in finally with Kyle and his folks, they all seemed a little surprised that I was calling them. I distinctly remember the mother saying, oh well, I guess we thought that Kyle was all done. I mean, he was baptized and he was confirmed and everything. Isn't he done? Kyle was baptized. He had been named. He'd been identified as God's own beloved. When that happens, we're never done. With God, things are never done. Baptism is a call to live and care about all the things that Jesus lived and cared about. According to a recent report from the Children's Defense Fund, every 19 seconds in America, a child is arrested. Every 35 seconds, a child is abused or neglected. Every four minutes, a child is arrested for a drug offense. Every 44 minutes in America, a child or teen dies from an accident. Every three hours, a child or teen is killed by a firearm. Every six hours, a child is killed by abuse or neglect in America. If baptism means we're done, we're missing a lot. If baptism is just a destination, then something isn't working. Whatever age we are when we come to the waters of baptism, God has something much larger in mind than just a ceremony or a photo op. At baptism, we are named, drenched. We are told who we are. We get our identity. Whenever we, whether we see a dove or, or hear a heavenly voice, at baptism, we are launched on a journey that takes our whole life long to live like Jesus lived and care about what Jesus cared about. Some kids getting baptized know this. Even if they don't know it, frankly, they know it. When a kid being baptized grabs the microphone we have on or tries to duck the water or grabs at our hair, we all tend to chuckle. That's cute. Is it cute? Isn't it cute? What if it's not cute? What if it is the age-appropriate response to the plain fact that we've got to die before we can live in Christ, which is the way the church has always, back to its earliest days, understood baptism? We have to die before we can live. What if that is the two-year-old way of saying she's not so sure she's ready to live the way Jesus lived, or in the words of Scripture, pick up her cross and follow Jesus? Her name was Ellen. She was due to be baptized at an Easter vigil service. That's a service that takes place overnight before Easter, when Easter actually begins. The only thing was that her parents wanted Ellen baptized by full immersion, and the church that they belong to has what we have, a font that isn't really good for full immersion, though I have tried and will continue to try in baptism. 
So the priest got creative, and without asking Ellen, he decided the best alternative was to buy a brand new 36-gallon garbage can and then decorate it with ivy so it kind of looked not like a garbage can, and fill it with water so Ellen could be immersed. The night of the service arrived, and unbelievably, the garbage can with ivy looked not too bad. Uh, But a three-year-old is savvy enough to know a garbage can when she sees it. And when Ellen saw the destination the priest had in mind, she stiffened. She was also a brave little girl, and her parents had rehearsed her for this moment, so she moved forward to the makeshift baptismal font, doing everything she was supposed to do, right up until the moment the priest bent down to pick her up and put her in the garbage can, at which point she planted her feet right against the garbage can, splashing water everywhere, yelling, don't you do it, don't you do it, no way, no way. Was that cute? Or was it a faithful, theologically accurate response to the truth that in baptism we all have to die before we can live in Christ? Ellen recognized her new identity. She recognized something in that water of where Jesus was heading was a high, hard challenge. Baptism is not a destination. Baptism is a beginning. In Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, the words boom from the heavens, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased, that draws our attention to several things at once. It is an affirmation of God, of Jesus, this fledgling carpenter, and on the ministry of healing and teaching and justice-seeking, which Jesus is about to embark. People in that present day would have heard echoes of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. It was always read at occasions of coronation. In other words, on this baptism day, those around Jesus begin to realize he's no ordinary carpenter. These words are also a foreshadowing of what is to come. Similar words can be heard at Jesus' transfiguration in the middle of the gospel, just as they are achingly absent in Jesus' God-forsaken cry from the cross. Jesus' baptism is all about his future identity. For Jesus, certainly, <clears throat> this, was not a begin- this was a beginning, not a destination. <clears throat> about four months after the shootings at Columbine High School in suburban Denver in 1999, I was serving a downtown church in Denver, and I noticed a young man in his late 20s who began attending worship with some regularity. Inevitably, he would come to the service just as it was beginning. He'd sit on the side near the back, always be quite attentive, but leave as soon as the service was over. One Sunday, he attended the early service, coming straight from work and dressed differently, I discovered He was a firefighter. He apologized for his semi-firefighter look, and I said that was fine, but that led him to introduce himself to me. His name was Matt. He worked at a station not far from our church downtown. He told me that except for a random wedding or funeral, he'd never been in church in his life. That led to another conversation a couple weeks later where he uncharacteristically lingered after worship on this Sunday, 
Baptism of the Lord Sunday. He asked about baptism. What was it? Why was it? What did it mean? He laughed that as someone who worked around fire hoses every day, he felt like he got baptized in a way every day. Then the conversation turned to Columbine, about him being a first responder to that tragedy, about what he saw, about how he had to go into the library and retrieve the bodies of victims that day. And he said that that put him on a path and made him think. Think about his life. What was it all about? What was he doing? How was he living? About some of the choices he had made and priorities he had embraced that seemed now kind of off. When Matt was baptized in worship a few weeks later, it was like he heard his name calling him to a deeper identity, introducing him to a deeper purpose than he had lived up until that moment. It was a beginning. In that same congregation in Denver, there was a large extended family that had come from Lebanon about 10 years before that to settle in Denver. They they operated a a Middle Eastern restaurant. It was the highlight for the whole congregation every time a newborn in that family was baptized because they always brought huge platters of baklava to share in celebration with the entire congregation on that baptism. Because it was a large family with lots of sons and daughters and nieces and nephews, it was great. We were having baklava like every other month for quite a while. The only time they didn't bring baklava for a family baptism was one of the most memorable baptisms I've ever been a part of. When Maria was born, the doctors told the family she probably wouldn't survive long at all. She was hospitalized for a week, and then two, and then for a month, all in NICU. The prognosis continued to be grim, so little hope of any development in her, no real hope of any quality of life. In one of those grueling litanies of modern life that I know many of you are familiar with, the family took shifts being with Maria, never leaving her alone, never giving up hope, yet slowly coming to terms with the reality of the situation. Finally, 10 months into this agony, the doctors told them that Maria was stable enough to go home, if not to get better, at least to live the last few weeks of her life outside the cold confines of the hospital. It was then that the family asked about Maria's baptism. Could Maria be baptized? Of course she could, we said. We could either come to the hospital and do it there, or when she got settled at home, we would come there. No, they said, we want Maria baptized in church. Theologically, they had it just right. It's only in extreme situations that we ever baptize in semi-private. It's always done like we're going to do it this morning, right here in church with everyone surrounding those being baptized and taking vows of support and prayer and encouragement on their behalf. There's no such thing as a private baptism in our tradition except in very rare cases, which of course this could be. But the family didn't want an exception. They wanted Maria baptized in church. 
The problems were legion. Risk of infection was so great. They had to be so careful. She was in a large modified electric wheelchair with tubes and monitors almost surrounding her completely. It was very difficult to move her. As it finally worked out, Maria was discharged from Children's Hospital in Denver on Easter morning at 7 a.m. The ambulance that was taking her home made a detour stopping at our church an hour before all the regular Easter services were about to commence, and where all the members of session had gathered, all with gowns and masks to protect Maria from infection, to stand in for the whole congregation and welcome Maria to the church, surrounding her in a circle of love and faith and hope, We baptized Maria in the name of our Creator and in the name of the one who redeems every person and in the one who sustains us in all times and in all places. You could be forgiven if you were looking on at this and thinking that, of course, this event was a destination, a culmination of a long, painful journey. At least they were able to get Maria baptized. But I'm here to tell you As the session and family alike departed, this was a beginning. We named Maria as God's beloved. All who gathered saw so clearly her identity along with ours, all of ours, as God's own beloved. Hard as the journey was for them, in this moment it was Easter. In that moment, Jesus was present and the enduring promises of God were so thick We could taste it. The title of this sermon is Five Baptisms. If you've been keeping score, here they are. Jesus' baptism with the dove and the voice from heaven. Kyle, the baptized confirmand who thought he was done. Ellen and her garbage can resistance. Matt, the firefighter, and Maria in the wheelchair on Easter morning. But of course, there are not five baptisms today. Look at your, bill, your bulletin. There are at least nine. Haley, Naja, Mark, Austin, also being baptized in just a moment. That's nine. Still not enough. There are ten baptisms. Yours. Your baptism. Your being called God's beloved Whether your baptism was in the past or is in the present or is still yet to come, you, you're being named as God's beloved. You being called to live as Jesus lives and care about all the things Jesus cared about. You receiving your identity, God's child, God's ambassador, God's partner, God's agent of hope and justice and God's agent of love and peace. Your baptism, whether it was 50 years ago or last month or whether it's today, your baptism, not as a destination, we've got that done now, but how you embark and sustain a lifelong life with God, held in God's love, propped up, by God's hope, knowing beyond all knowing what you are named, what you are called, and who you are, led into the world to make a difference by the same Spirit that landed on Jesus that wet, wonderful day years ago, 
that from this day forth and forever ever, you will see your life's purpose as living the way Jesus lived and caring about the things Jesus cared about. 